Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website is scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Well, this morning we are resuming our study in 1 Corinthians, and we're ready for chapter 4 and 5 today. Now, one of the main issues, or one of the bigger issues that the Corinthians had other than immorality, specifically sexual immorality, was this issue of pride and arrogance. And Paul's going to be addressing that here in chapter 4. And then he's going to be addressing some immorality issues uh, in chapter 5. There's some important things that he's going to say. Uh, There's a few verses here where he's even using sarcasm. (laughs) Um, And I just got to tell you, when I get to it, I'll explain. But I got to tell you, as someone who teaches the scriptures, I can relate to Paul's frustration, I'll say. Uh, as we get to this point, the very first verse starts with let, let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. So he's starting off this portion of his conversation with the Corinthians by saying, we should be viewed by others as humble servants of God. People around us should think of us because of the way we act and behave and treat other people and love the brethren. They should th- When they think about us, they should think of us as a servant of God, as a steward of God's mysteries. And so maybe something to start thinking about right away this morning is when I go to work or when, at home or, or wherever, Is that what people would think of me? Am I living my life in a manner as that would be the thought? All right, there's our introduction. Let's get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 5. Let's begin. Verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. So please note, Paul's getting ready to get into the fat, get into their pride and arrogance, and th- them thinking they've got it all figured out, and them thinking they know it all. And he's starting off right away with some pretty strong language, like what you think, like what you think about me. That's a very small thing in my mind. Like, I'm not spending a lot of time worrying about what you think about me. What I'm spending my time on and my focus on is what does God think? Am I living in a way that's pleasing to God? 
So what you think about me, that, that, that's a small thing. He says, but to me it is a very small thing that I might be examined by you. Continuing on. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes who will bring who will both bring to the light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Paul's making the point that, hey, you stop acting like you know the intent of the heart of other people. Stop stop judging in a manner where you are acting like you know What's the root of why they're doing what they're doing, saying what they're saying, believing what they're believing? There is one who does know the motives and does know the heart, and that is God, and he will judge us based on those motives. But you don't know that. Verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sakes. So that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Alright, so he's getting ready to get into... You're being arrogant. You think you've got it all figured out. And he's going to, the next few verses, like the next three verses, four verses, is really him using sarcasm. In fact, in chapter 8 of the First Corinthians is where Paul will say, that's where you hear, you hear one of my favorite sayings, which is actually from First Corinthians 8, chapter, chapter 8, uh, verse 2, where Paul says, If a man thinks he knows anything... He knows nothing yet, as he ought to know. If a man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet that he ought to know. In other words, when when you think you've got it figured out, when you've become wise in your own eyes and you think of yourself superior to other people, it's your wisdom, and then the truth is, is you don't know anything. And as someone who's studied the scriptures and been doing this for a long time, and most, and some of you have been with me that whole time. Here's what I've learned, and listen closely. The more I know, the less I know. The more I know, I realized the less I know. You see, in the beginning, I thought I was pretty wise. Like I really thought I had a grip on prophecy and doctrine. And I look back now from where I am today and I'm embarrassed almost at how foolish I was or, and how arrogant I was and, and how I thought I had it figured out. Because what I've realized is I don't know anything. <laughs> at the end of the day, I don't know squat. And anything that, it, that any knowledge that I do have, any wisdom that comes across this microphone is given to me by God. So wherein am I to boast? And I've, as someone who teaches the scriptures, I've, I've run into this frustration that Paul's getting ready to, to share some sarcasm about. 
I don't know how many times I've done a study and I'll get comments like, don't you, that start with things like, don't you know? And, you know, here comes all these brilliant people telling me how stupid I am and how wise they are and I've got it all figured out. And I'm just like, why do you listen to my podcast? (laughs) Like, why are you listening? If you know it all, why are you listening to me? You've got it all figured out. Maybe you should go start your own. So I I get where Paul's coming from on this. By the way, those comments are few and far in between. Uh, Most of the comments that come through are very edifying, very encouraging, and I'm grateful for those, so thank you. So he says, And if if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Okay, here we go into the sarcasm. Verse 8. You are already filled. You have already become rich. You have become kings without us indeed. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we also might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited, has exhibited us apostles last of all, as man condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong, and you are distinguished, but we are without honor. To this present hour, we are... All right, so there's kind of his sarcasm. He's like, obviously, we're, obviously those of us who are literally called as apostles to Christ, we don't, we don't have it figured out, but you guys do. I mean, that's more or less what he's, what he's getting at. He's using sarcasm to address their pride and then he's going to get into some real things about his can about what he is going through in order to preach the gospel and to set up churches and to do the things that he's doing verse 11 to this present hour we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless and we toil working with our own hands when we are Reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to consolate. We have become the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even unto now. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I become your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some have become arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I, and if, and I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. What do you desire? Shall I come to you with a rod, 
or with love and a spirit of gentleness. Chapter 5 Now he's going to address a pretty serious issue. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind does not exist even among the Gentiles. That someone has his father's wife. So he's saying, it's come to my attention that there's an issue going into the church where there's a son basically sleeping with his stepmother, his father's wife. He's saying, this is such a grievous problem. You don't even see this among the heathen, basically. Like, the those who don't even recognize God don't behave in this manner. And this is going on in the church. Verse 2. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Paul's saying this person should be removed from the congregation. This, oh, where do I start? This doesn't happen in churches anymore. Church discipline doesn't exist anymore. It's like, it doesn't matter what crime against God you're committing. It's like, whatever, let it go on in the church because we need to be loved. No, that is not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach those who claim to be believers but do all these wicked things, they are to be disciplined by the church and, if need be, removed from the congregation. And Paul's getting ready to go on about that and why that is. So... Rather than me just rant about it, let's just let Paul. Verse 3. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirits, have already judged him who has committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such to one, such a one to Satan for the, for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So by the way, that phrase, deliver, is a strong term that's basically used in sentencing. And it's, it's basically the equivalent um, uh, it's the equivalent of putting that person out of the blessing of the Christian worship and fellowship. So it's it's basically excommunication. And thrusting that person into the worldly system. That's what he means by saying deliver him to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Like deliver him out to the world and God will judge him. But hopefully through that judgment, right, through that fire that he's going to suffer as a result of being excommunicated from the fellowship, he'll, he'll still be saved, right? That's what he's getting at. Verse 6. He's going to explain why you have to, why you can't allow these things in the church. Why you have to use, why you have to discipline, sometimes excommunicate or separate people from the congregation. And I and I can't stress it enough. Today, that that doesn't happen in churches. I've never seen this happen. 
it's just like no, but just continue to let let it go on. And then, matter of fact, let's let them go teach in the children's ministry. <laughs> like that's the that's the that's what I've witnessed. Continuing on, verse six: Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. What's the context here? Leaven is is symbolic for sin. In other words, if you do not remove, like if you don't discipline that person, maybe they need removed from the church. If you allow that to continue, it'll infect and influence others in the congregation. That's what he means by it only takes a little bit of leaven to leaven the whole loaf of bread. It just takes a little bit, so you you can't have it. You can't you just can't tolerate that. He says, Clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened, for Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's contrasting the the Passover feast that would be celebrated annually. And he's saying, believers need to celebrate this in mind and heart continuously with unleavened lives. In other words, lives without the sin. Instead, you live your life with sincerity and truth. Not with malice and wickedness. I mean, it's it's pretty clear but in my experience, people seem to think that Paul never addresses sin, and he addresses sin constantly. He, he addresses Christian behavior constantly. He is not a greasy grace preacher, like people make him out to be. Verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of the world, listen closely, or with the covetous and the swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Listen closely. Paul is saying, I've told you not to associate with immoral people, but just so we're clear, I'm not talking about all the people you come in contact with in the world, at work, and so forth. Why? Because to do that, you would have to remove yourself from the world, which you can't do. You live in the world. What he's talking about is do not be in fellowship with those who claim to follow Christ but live immoral lives. 
because that's where you'll get pulled down. That's where you'll get yourself in trouble associating with those people. Don't believe me? Listen to his words. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Could Paul be more clear? For what have I to do with judging outsiders? <laughs> people say, don't, don't judge, don't judge. Paul's saying, don't bother judging people on the outside. God's going to take care of that. Our concern is those who claim to be brothers of the faith. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. That is how chapter 5 ends. I mean, people can get mad at me if they want. All I'm doing is reading you Paul's words. This is how he handled this type of immorality within the church. He's saying, remove them. Remove them. They are to be delivered over to the world. Delivered over to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh. Because you can't have that going on in the church or it's going to infect everyone around them. Furthermore, do not associate with those who claim to be Christians but live immoral lives, covetousness, idolatry, drunkenness, swindlers. Don't even break bread with those people. And then he ends by saying, remove that man. He's talking about the man. The context is that specific man that was sleeping with his father's mother. It's like, we can't have that. That's what Paul's saying. So Paul's dealing with pride and arrogance of the Corinthians. Remember, these people are new to the faith for the most part. He set up this church. There's a lot of growth that has, has to happen. And he's one of Paul's, one of the things that breaks Paul's heart the most that we read about is he has this great love for the Corinthian church. But they just, they, they're struggling with all kinds of issues. And, you know, it's a lot of people, they look at pastors and they look at teachers and they don't understand the cost that that individual has went through to bring the gospel, to preach it, to, to dedicate their lives to the scriptures and the sufferings that have come and the spiritual warfare that has come and the relationships as they've, that they've witnessed fall apart and the bad decisions they've seen people they love make within the church like there's a lot more going on than people realize all right i pray i've done justice to this morning to 
the scriptures this morning, and I hope that I've explained them in a way that pierces hearts and more, most importantly, causes you to draw closer to Christ. Thanks for listening. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for, for your support. Peace and grace be with all of you. And until next time, God bless.